Well, joining us is the color commentator for BC Hockey, Ken Hodge. And uh, first of all, Ken, BC comes into tonight's game off a 7-1 win against Northeastern on Friday, or on Sunday, rather. They split the series against Northeastern, and I thought that that game, the game the BC played against Northeastern, was uh, they, they certainly dominated the game. Oh, Mike, that was the best uh, 60 minutes of hockey in the last four games. Up until that uh, first period where they got a lead of one nothing, they'd only had a lead for 14 seconds against Lowell in the previous 12 periods, and they finally got the lead on the, in the first period against uh, about, what, 48 seconds left in that period, in that, in that first period, give them that lead. And then from there, what I liked about their game on Sunday was the way that they continued to, to, to put the pressure on Northeastern, and they got the next goal, and then the next goal, and it really was all over from there. It's funny because this year for BC has almost been, I wouldn't call it a rebuilding year, but you've got a lot of guys out there that are younger players that have had to work their way in and, and played very well. I mean, BC quietly, I would say, has worked themselves up to a number seven position in the national polls, second in the league possibly, could still win, could still finish at first place and, and end up with a pretty good and solid seed in the NCAA tournament. Well, 17 freshmen and sophomores in the lineup out of their 22 guys. Yeah. Uh, not that everybody plays every night, because uh, they obviously don't, but they've gotten some great contributions from their defensive core, their, their young defensive core. Philip Samuelson in particular has been excellent for, for BC. Uh, Dumoulin has been excellent for BC as well this year. And uh, Carl Sneep as well has come back and been a great leader on the defensive core. And recently, Chris Kreider started to score for them, which is something that they did, he wasn't doing early on in the season. So he's starting to come and get it, find his game as well. So they're getting contributions from everybody right now. And, you know, when they changed the lines right after the Frozen Fenway game, I was kind of wondering where they're going to get their scoring because it looked like they put everybody on that first line, Gibbons and Whitney and Atkinson. But now they've been getting balanced scoring. The Smith line has been their best line the last five or six games. What's been the difference for Kreider? Speed. You know, he's using his speed to his advantage, and he's not trying to bring the puck to the middle of the ice all the time where all the traffic is. He's been keeping the puck to the outside, getting shot opportunities, and then when the puck's been going, Mike, he's done a great job of back-checking the puck in, uh, in the defensive zone. He may be the left winger, but he'll back-check all the way to the right side of the ice to, to create offensive opportunities for his, for his teammates and for his team, and it's led to quality opportunities, and he's been getting some, some great A chances. When I look at the teams in the league, I look at everybody who, from the top down. BC seems to me to be to be the team that's deepest and, and you know can roll the most solid lines, put the most lines out there, score goals, and uh, and possibly I think have the chance to go the furthest of any team in the NCAA tournament. Well, they got four deep lines. There's no number one line. There's no number four line on their team. Arguably, you could say the Gibbons line is their number one line, but the Smith line has been just as good the last few games for BC. Mullane's line at times has been very well, very good. Paul Carey, who was playing with uh, Pat Mullane on that third line, quote-unquote, in the score sheet, has been arguably their best consistent winger forward all year. And then you throw in the Matt Price line, who starts most games. So you don't really have one uh, number one line or number four line, which is, as you, as you went to, works to their advantage. Uh, they have four lines they, they can put out there at any time. And, uh, coming into the season, there were so many questions about... John Muse and what he, was, what he would be able to do in goal uh, certainly has to be the case that Parker Milner has exceeded expectations. You know what, from, from day one when I talked to Jerry York, the first thing he said is all three goaltenders have impressed him very, uh, a, a ton in training camp. Uh, John Muse obviously is their number one goaltender and he will be the number one goaltender down the stretch. He'll, he'll play the majority of the games, I would assume. BC has qualified for the playoffs. I would assume you'd see John Muse as the goaltender in the playoffs. Uh, he's been there, he's done it before. That being said, Parker Milner, when he's been asked to play, has played very well for BC. Uh, 
two weeks ago. They played Lowell here. They won 2-1. to one. Parker Miller was a difference. And the reason why they won that game. So on Sunday against Northeastern, Parker Miller was asked to make some nice saves in, in the third period when Northeastern made it a 5-1 to one hockey game and had a chance to make it a closer hockey game. But he's, been, he's, he's played very well and been very solid in that. I want to change gears a little. Yesterday, a big anniversary, the 30th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. Uh, well, I'm just curious. I, I think you're about the same age as me. What were you doing then when that happened? Well, it's funny. I, I remember, I can't remember who was doing the uh, ABC. They said, turn your head around if you don't want to see who won the game. I remember that. Jim McKay. Yeah, Jim McKay. That's right. Jim McKay. Was and, oh, of course, everybody looked at the TV to see who won the game. And Did you? I didn't. Oh, absolutely. Didn't. Absolutely. Oh. Oh. And I remember I had an American flag and it was in my, my mom and dad's window and I'm waving it like a madman and what a thrill I mean it's just it was so much fun because I knew Mike Arruzzioni personally uh, before that my dad got very friendly with Mike Arruzzioni and it was just a great thrill to see him you know in that stage and, and in that situation and I remember watching Jimmy Craig uh, at Beanpots uh, play against BC's and, and, and Northeastern and, and Harvard and, and just thinking to myself wow that's something that I want to strive to become and uh, from that day on that's when I really got real serious about hockey. Yeah, I mean, I know obviously you grew up in a hockey family, so you know you were going to play anyway. But but did you see out of that win the, the, the growth in hockey that I think we've all we, we all recognize happened? I absolutely think so. I think you saw a, a lot more youth hockey players play. Saw a lot more kids get involved. Not only boys, but now girls. I mean, it's kind of stretched into girls now. Girls hockey's taken off obviously the last few years as well. So. Yes, I think 1980 really spearheaded a lot of uh, growth in, in uh, USA hockey. It's an, it's an interesting question because then you have to look at and you say, well, what's happened in, in the recent years? And I guess uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. You know, Massachusetts, maybe New England in general, not producing as many of those players as they used to. What's the reason? Mike, my feeling, Mike, is it's too expensive. Uh, you, you play for some of these select hockey teams. You're playing between 3000 and $3,500 to play on a hockey team. You throw in a pair of skates that are now 600 bucks. You throw in a stick or two a year that's 100 to $200. That's, that's a lot of money for a lot of families. And um, I don't have that money, and I'm not sure if you do, but uh, <laughs> I can't afford it. And uh, you know, it's, it, it, uh, That's where I think we have to go back to the grassroots of hockey. I was going to say, I, I watched the movie over the, over the Christmas break, Pond Hockey. Was, they were showing it on the NHL Network. I assume that you've seen it. Uh, it really, I, th I thought, kind of opened my eyes to the, to the idea that, boy, you know, I mean, I remember that, that when I was growing up, this is the way that it used to be, and, and, and it's, it's changed so much. It's not, I mean, the kids grow up today, and, and they were interviewing kids in the movie who said, Pond, I never played on a Hond. I, I mean, it's amazing. Maybe that's what it has to go back to. Well, I agree. It, Pond hockey, and what's the last time you seen a street hockey game when you're driving down the road? Yeah. You know, you don't see that anymore. No, we would play every day. We'd go out and yeah. play. I mean, and as a kid, I'd go back and play in my driveway as soon as I came home from school, do my homework, and go out in the driveway for yeah. the last, you know, yeah. whatever amount of daylight you have. You don't see that nowadays, and I think that's that's some of the things. You talk about practicing three days a week for some of these teams. You play two games a week on the weekend. You don't have time to be a kid, and that's the problem, I think. And uh, I think we have to somehow get back to that. All right, Ken, good to see you as always. Uh, best of luck tonight the rest of the way. Uh, thank you, Mike. You too, Phil Warriors. <laughs>